0: I got mixed up confusion, man, and it's a-killing me. There's too many people, and they're all too hard to please.
1: Good morning. And welcome to episode 394 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today Howdy. we well, we continue our season preview series with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will talk to Steve Berthume, the Diamondbacks' play-by-play man for Fox Sports Arizona, Right now, we are talking to Nick Picoro, uh, AZ Central Sports beat writer of Indeterminate Age. Hello, Nick. Hi. <laughs> how, how long have you been covering the Diamondbacks?
2: Uh, this will be my eighth
1: season on the beat. And roughly how long were you alive prior <laughs> to that?
2: Uh, 20-something years. I like the idea of this being a mystery.
1: <laughs> okay, well, you narrowed it down enough for us to I, satisfy. not really. Well, yeah, I'd he, like an exact much, number, but he
3: found he found the perfect sort of <laughs> parameters that don't narrow it down at all. Yeah, like, did, that's almost what did, exactly did could have
1: twenty-something years? Because that yeah, that could be almost anything. Well, <laughs> Andy McCullough made me ask, so that's why that
2: happened. <laughs> oh, so that story. Okay,
1: I, I see. <laughs> um, so I was just reading the. Uh, Jay Jaffe's Diamondbacks Winter Report Card to prep for this podcast and his opening sentence is another 500 season another winter of cleaning house by selling low on young players uh, which is something that you touch on in your essay uh, by the way Nick wrote the Diamondbacks essay for the Baseball Prospectus Annual so this winter the the players that that we saw that seemed to happen with were different but the trend seemed sort of similar is is that a real thing? Is it that the Diamondbacks sell too early, or are they selling at just the right time? Or is it impatience? How do you interpret that? Uh,
2: I don't know. Um, it, it does seem like it happens a lot. It just sort of seems like if you have a, a bad season here and they have other options, they're they're going to, to look at those other options. Um you know, it, it 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 just it's happened pretty much ever since Kevin Towers has, has been here. It seems like you know, with with Upton and Ian Kennedy, and you know, even going back to like Kelly Johnson struggling for a couple of months midway through 2011. Um, you know, Trevor Bauer, Tyler Skaggs, Adam Eaton. There's just there's just so many examples of guys that have that have struggled at at, at some uh, at some point in in the big leagues, and they haven't had patience with them. Um, yeah, I, I mean it's it's totally defensible in a lot of ways because, I mean, look, baseball is really hard to predict several years down the road, let alone the next year. Um, and obviously, you should probably wait. What's happened? Uh, you know, weigh, weigh what's happened most recently most heavily. Um, so, I mean, I, I I can kind of understand it to some degree. It, it becomes a little confusing when it's you know guys that they that they really you know. Trumpet like Eaton and and Skaggs, um, you know, as as such important parts of of the future. Or even, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Didi Gregorius were traded uh, at some point, maybe before the start of spring train or the start of the regular season, say. Hmm. Um, and that was a guy who was the shortstop of the future a year ago, and now it sort of looks like it's it's Chris
1: Owings' job to lose. Um, that, yeah, that was going to be another question of mine. So how how did that? Because it seems sort of strange because Gregorius kind of had a pretty good season. So, but Owings did also, and it, he just leapfrogged him that way?
2: Well, I mean, if you look at the way that Gregorius' season played out, it was two really, really good months and then four not so good months mm-hmm. to, to end. So, and, and you know, and, and Owings was a, uh, you know, had a, had an incredible season in the PCL, um, you know, came up in September and, and played well and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I do feel like they kind of weigh what's happened most recently uh, very, very heavily. Uh,
3: I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everybody you've named so far, except Gregorius, uh, was acquired by somebody other than Towers originally. And so I wonder if that's something relevant, if Towers sort of has his guys and uh, he puts sort of more emphasis on being his guy, than the average GM does. Um, maybe I, I think you're right. Everybody that, I, I mean, he did
2: draft Trevor Bauer. He was here when Bauer was drafted. Um, but you know, I, I, guess I would say like, look at what he did his first off season, uh, when he was here. Um, there were a lot of guys that, that he went out and acquired, uh, kind of on the cheap and wound up, uh, jettisoning, jet, jettisoning, um, Pretty quickly, uh, you know guys like, uh, I don't know Melvin Mora and Xavier Needy and Juan Miranda and Armando Galarraga, Zach Duke. Um, there, there were a ton of guys that he, that he, uh, you know, brought in for that 2011 season. They didn't play well. He got rid of them quickly. He did acquire Heath Bell last off season and, and got rid of him pretty quickly. I, I don't, I don't think he it was really all that married to his guys necessarily. Um, but uh, I, I don't know I, I don't I, I don't know how to answer I'm, I'm not sure if there's a if there's a definite rhyme or reason to it
1: I wanted to ask you about Bell because there was a recent article at MLB.com about him by Barry Bloom and Bell was quoted basically as saying that the Diamondbacks Forced him to pitch in ways that he prefers not to pitch. He said I like to go in and out use both sides of the plate I felt like they wanted me to go in a lot more. My style was more away, but I was trying to do their style It was tough when the catcher and the pitcher don't really see it eye-to-eye, it's hard to go out there and have a really good game. They wanted me to pitch in a way I'd never pitched before. And that sort of made me remember the, the Trevor Bauer saga and wonder whether there was any connection there. Do you feel like the Diamondbacks are at all more heavy-handed in how they tell players to approach the game than the typical team? Um, I don't know. Um, I... I, I don't think so.
2: I, I think that they I think that they want I mean you, you remember during the offseason they were so big on on you know getting guys to pitch inside a lot more. I, I, I don't know M- Miguel Montero had some pretty strong comments uh, about the, the Heath Bell stuff yesterday to to my colleague Zach Buchanan and basically was just talking about how he needs to he needs to kind of own up and, and realize that he's the one throwing the pitch and, and he's the one that has to take responsibility for it and Montero was like, you know, if you, uh, you know, look at me, I had a bad season, and I'm not blaming them for making me want to, you know, change things in my swing. I'm the one that couldn't hit the ball, and I, I don't. That that's kind of the way I, I see that. I'm, 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 I'm not sure if. I mean, Heath Bell had a bad season in Miami the year before, and you know, not a very good season in Arizona. I, I don't know. I don't think so.
1: Has Heath Bell written his rap song response to Miguel Montero's comments yet?
3: <laughs> I
1: would like to hear that.
3: What uh, what is Montero's role in that organization? Because he's the sort of the one guy who had a a terrible year, and yet you didn't hear them talking about moving him. And uh, he does seem to talk a lot, and um, in ways that to outsiders sort of feel like sort of strangely aggressive. But you get the feeling that that like fits Towers uh, perfectly. So is is he like kind of considered um, like? I don't, I don't know, like management's proxy or something like that. What is his role there?
2: I think he's just someone that just sort of says whatever he wants, and <laughs> a lot of the time, um, I, I think that they do kind of look at him as a, as a little bit of a leader. You know, kind of that, you, you know, that guy that that keeps everybody loose in the clubhouse. Um, you know, and and kind of, uh, kind of just brings a a lot of energy. Um, but I, I don't know. He he's the kind of guy that. I I I I don't think he's usually, I don't think he's wrong that often on a lot of the things that he says he just he just sort of says whatever he wants like last year the the stuff when he was talking about Puig and and how if mm-hmm. I think he said like if I were Puig's teammate I would I would tell him to calm down and and mm-hmm. you know he needs the he needs to relax and it was it was funny I heard from people that had talked to to Dodgers players and and they were like oh, yeah he's absolutely right <laughs> that's kind of how we feel about Puig also. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Uh I'm kind of confused about the sequence of events that led to the Towers and Gibson's uh, Towers and Gibson extensions because their, their options were declined after the season, right? And then there were lots of comments about how they didn't mind going into the season as as lame ducks and they they needed to prove themselves and then they were extended anyway. How did that happen?
2: Yeah, that was confusing. Um, I, I think that they just got tired of, of reading about it. The the organization did, and maybe didn't realize that it was going to be such a a big talking point, um, you know, in the media and and uh, and and elsewhere. Um, especially, you know, looking at at every move that they made, kind of within the context of of an expiring contract. Um, so I think that I think that more than anything, look, I, I mean, I don't I don't think that they that they want to get rid of those guys. I think that they're looking for Reasons to keep them instead of reasons to get rid of them, um, but but I do think that that more than anything, the the extensions were more to just kind of shut us all up. Uh, I I I mean, because you you look at it, nothing really changed, right? I mean, there it's not like you can evaluate Kirk Gibson any differently in uh, in in February than you could in October when those options were declined. It, it's it was it was very odd. So I I. I think that it had to have been um, you know, more perception-driven than anything.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Sam and I talked about the evolution in Kevin Towers' bullpen-building philosophy after the Reed trade. Did he acknowledge that that sort of was out of character for him and that he used to be a guy who would build closers? He'd trade for someone who wasn't a closer and then make him a closer and then maybe trade him away, whereas now he's tr- the guy who's trading for an established closer?
2: Um, he didn't really talk too much about that. I, I, I think it's just, it was it, just that he had the, the resources, um, available. He, he had the, the depth in other areas of the, of the organization and, and felt like he could, he could use it to make his, 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 uh, active roster a little bit stronger and, and a little bit more well-rounded. Um, I, 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 I do think that he is, you know, his, his focus, I mean, not that he doesn't pay attention to the future. I, I know that he does. And, and, and I know that he, you know, is trying to shore up, shore up areas of his organization where he doesn't quite have as much depth as he'd like. Um, but, but his area is a focus is on that 40 man roster at that. That's what he's, he's always thinking about. Um, you know, and, you know, he kind of, look, I'm going to take care of the major league side. You guys can take care of the rest is, is sort of the way that it seems like he runs the organization. And I, I think that you know, JJ Putz maybe wasn't that reliable last year. Um, you know, David Hernandez was was really up and down, and I just think he saw that as a as a way to get better.
3: Yeah, and you know, both of those guys kind of speak to how unpredictable bullpens are, right? I mean, both those guys were uh, hot stuff coming into the year. Um, certainly had like the stuff, even if uh, you know, uh, Puts is kind of unreliable health wise. Um, and you know, so to some degree, like how well your bullpen does is subject to a lot of fluctuation. So, um, looking at the 2014 bullpen, um, do you feel like it's a good bullpen and do you feel like there was any sort of sense of overreaction, uh, to the, to the difficulties in the bullpen last year, given that there's still, seems to me, still some pretty good personnel in that group? Um...
2: I don't know. Um, I I think uh, I, I I mean it looks like it looks like it should be pretty good to me, I guess. Uh, and then you know even even if they have some issues with the guys that are projected to be in there, they've got a couple of guys in Jake Barrett and and Matt Stites that are that are coming up that could that could uh, you know be be those kinds of you know late season difference makers you see so often in uh, in bullpens down the stretch. Um, it, it is it is interesting. You're right though the way that it was put together. I mean I think last year they were spending. Um, you know a, a quarter of their payroll almost on the bullpen um, and that's very different from the way he's put his his bullpens together it's and it's I, I thought it was really fascinating I don't know what you guys think about it but the way the A's have have gone a, a, about it you know they're they're spending a whole lot of money um, on their bullpen I, I don't know is it is it trending that way a little bit more in baseball I mean I I think that that's you know, you look at some of those teams that are always the surprise teams from year to year and, and that, you know, bullpen performance seems to be a, a consistent, uh, you know, trait or attribute of, of those those teams that can maybe outplay their Pythag or, or maybe surprise people. Um, but I, I don't know. You're right. It, it's still hard to predict. It, it's, it's still strange to me that, that teams are, are putting so much of their financial resources into bullpens.
1: Uh, do you think that Bradley, well, when do you expect to see Bradley and, and would you expect him to be kind of the, the Cole or the Miller or the Fernandez of 2014?
2: Um, I, I, think that they'll, you'll probably see him whenever there is a immediate need, um, whether it's somebody struggling or somebody getting hurt. Um, I, I would be really surprised if he breaks camp with them, um, given that they have, you know, five kind of veteran guys, I guess, um, at at the moment uh and yeah i mean i i I guess so I, i i think he could be i mean he's been really really hard to hit in the minor leagues um the only issue seems like maybe strike throwing at times um but he did cut down the walks from 2012 to 2013 um you know he's got a really good secondary pitch i don't know that it's quite as good as jose fernandez's uh slider but uh you know his his curveball is is pretty pretty darn good Uh, you know and he just he just seems to have one of those fastballs that you know can he can throw by guys even when they're looking for it
3: um last september kevin towers was asked about bradley and said that you know he had some work to do i think he said he had some work to do with the secondary pitches and uh didn't make sense to to bring him up at that point um do you get the feeling that towers really doesn't think that he's ready right now um or is it was that just sort of a kind of i don't know semi-diplomatic way of motivating him and keeping him off the 40-man roster um you know so they could use that that spot for the winner
2: right i i think it was probably a little more 40-man motivated i think if they were in the hunt uh they would they would have brought him up um i don't know i i i think that i i think that towers you know Realizes that he's probably got, you know, some of the best stuff, if not the best stuff, of anybody in camp um, already. I, I, I just have, I just have a hard time understanding how he would, you know, break camp right now with them. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense if you're a team like the Diamondbacks to want to, you know, is the difference between, you know, maybe four starts from Archie compared to, I don't know, um, I don't even know who they would bump out of the rotation, McCarthy or, or Cahill. Is, it, is it worth? you know, that year of service time, I I, I have a hard time seeing it as, as being the case.
1: I'm curious about uh, something you wrote um, very recently about Goldschmidt and his <laughs> success in the clutch last season. Uh, he, he hit remarkably well uh, with runners in scoring position or high leverage or late and close or whatever measure of clutch you want to use. And you talked to him about it, and he supplied an explanation that, you often hear from players, I think, you know, not trying to do too much and forgetting about the situation and trying to pretend the bases are empty and all of that. And you you mentioned uh, you quote teammates and Kirk Gibson saying how good he is at, at forgetting about that situation or focusing in the situation. And I'm I'm curious having, you know, talked to him about that and, and looked deep into his eyes as he told you those things, <laughs> would you expect him to be any better than the average hitter going forward as far as hitting and runners and scoring position? Did he convince you that this is a real thing? Um I just
2: I just think he's really, really good at baseball. Yes. Um, <laughs> clearly I, I I don't know. I he he does he does just seem to I, I, it's, it's crazy though. You watch him, you watch him like I was watching them play some sort of, you know, uh, batting practice type game where they've got two teams and, you know, the coach behind the cage calls out what, you know, okay, now we need a single. Now we need, you know, guy on third, just get, get him in. You know, it was a team thing. And every time he came up, he just, it was just like he, it was so easy. It was so easy for him to just like, okay, I'm going to line a base hit here. You know, and this was just, you know, last week and, and guys are, Good, good hitters are in his group and on the other team are popping balls up and, and stuff like that. He just, he's just really, really good. I, I, I don't, I don't know. May, guys, guys do rave about his ability to, to focus and, and stay committed to um, whatever he thinks the you know his, his mindset needs to be in a certain situation. Um, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know where where that you know where this is kind of taking me. You know, in the in the sabermetric crowd, but he, (laughs) I just, I, it's hard to not believe in it when you're around him all Mm -hmm. the
1: time because he's just so good. Mm -hmm. And would you expect? I mean, his his contract is is spectacular for for the Diamondbacks. (laughs) Uh, And I I saw a recent comment. I think it was maybe from Ken Kendrick saying something about how they're open to renegotiating it or or doing something to make it less. Uh, less puny from Goldschmidt's perspective. Would you expect something like that to happen in the next few years? Is it going to be? Is it going to become less good for the team at some point soon? I, I don't know. Um, I, I, that was
2: that was uh, that was Derek Hall who is he said oh, right. a couple okay. of times. Yeah. I I I mean I, I I don't. I'm not saying that I don't believe him when when he says that. It it does seem like a nice thing to say though. If you're in his position, even if you don't intend to do it but i I, they love him so much and they they want to keep him happy that it it wouldn't surprise me if they actually did do that um but i i don't know maybe it would just be a you know kind of adding on to the back end a a little bit earlier than you have to um you know a a way to kind of make it look a little bit better perhaps Mm -hmm. um but i mean it's like you said i mean it's such an incredible contract that i mean it they can't they can't do business, or you know, they, they can do they can do things so much differently because of that contract, because of when they did it, than, than they than they would if they'd you know had to extend them now. I mean, I can't imagine they would have been able to make a run at Tanaka last off season if they knew they had this huge Paul Goldschmidt contract mm-hmm. negotiation looming.
3: So um, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if this is, uh, you know, a result of their kind of character crusade over the last couple of years. But looking at this roster, there really are a lot of guys who seem really like likable and seem, you know, it seems like a team of grown-ups. It seems like a team of, um, you know, this is different, but people who are good quotes, people who Twitter likes, people who are, uh, <laughs> you know, take leadership roles, etc. Uh, so, just as a reporter, I, what's it like covering this team? Because it looks like there's like sixteen guys on the team who are <laughs> like the the dream uh, yes. source in the clubhouse.
2: Yes, it is very much like that. It's an amazing group of guys. It's 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 insane because I mean you, you know you covered a team and you know what it's like when there's guys you're sort of like Ugh, I gotta go talk to this guy today and you know there's nobody like that. It's just it's a, it's a really good group of guys. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I mean, obviously you don't like going up to guys post game when, you know, somebody played or pitched well or or pitched poorly. I mean, and you, you know, you don't like having to ask those questions. Um, but there's nobody that really makes you uncomfortable, uh, to, to have to approach. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's definitely intentional. I think that that's, they, they really value that stuff. Um, I think that it's, you know they, they just want this they, they just kind of want that whole uh, band of brothers thing happening in there and, and I think that they, they value character a, a tremendous amount.
1: Between that and the ability to write about really confusing trades a few times every winter, you've pretty much got it made as a beat writer. This is a cushy assignment.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they like it when I write about the confusing <laughs> trades. They, I don't think they see things the same way that I do.
3: Well, do they? I mean, if, does it do anything to the Band of Brothers thing when a guy gets shipped out after they've been championing him? I mean, it, it does seem like it, it could conceivably backfire to have these guys who, you know, have presumably built up relationships getting moved out in trades that sort of seem insulting to them.
2: Um. I don't know. I mean, I don't think, like, Trevor Bauer was really around long enough for anybody to to consider him a part of that. I don't think that, um, you know, Adam Eaton wasn't the most popular guy in the clubhouse either. Uh, I I don't think that they've really subtracted from the guys that I would say are the biggest, like, kind of rah-rah character core guys. Um, But that would be be an interesting development if, if that did happen.
1: Uh, You did write recently that the, I guess the franchise seems to be sort of in a healthier place than it was a few years ago, that the payroll is up and the debt is down and there's a TV deal on the horizon. So I guess fans can take some solace in that, even if they don't necessarily like all the moves that the team has made or where the team is competitively, it seems like things are are progressing. Uh, Is this going to be a team that will... Compete with the the heavy hitters in the division financially. I, I guess being in the same division as the Dodgers, that's difficult. But other than other than them,
2: right? I, I think so. Um, and I, I, I think they're in a they're in a pretty decent spot right right now, talent wise. Uh, they're, they're kind of they're kind of built to win, you know. Now and and maybe next year, they have they have guys in their early thirties. Um, you know, they have some. Uh, I don't, I don't think they have a ton of payroll flexibility right now. You know, I, I think that, uh, I think that they're gonna, they're gonna need to kind of come through, but they, they do have, you know, some, some guys coming behind them. Um, you know, Archie and, and Braden Shipley and, uh, you, you know, they've, they've got some other guys, uh, down below that, that are, that are coming and, and seem like a, a good next wave. There is, there, there does appear to be some balance, uh, in the organization, but, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of room to kind of cover up mistakes if, if some of these if some of these, you know, Martín Prado or Aaron Hill or Cody Ross or Bronson Arroyo, if if those sorts of deals go sour, um, they're gonna they're gonna really uh, have to rely internally. It, it, it would it would appear.
1: So we've come to prediction time. Then give us give us a win total uh, for 2014 and a finish in the NL West, if you'd care to
2: oh gosh do all of the do all of the beat writers <laughs> give these predictions um we make
1: everyone do it
2: uh i feel like i'm gonna say something and then i'm like think about it later and <laughs> totally change my mind um I don't know. I, I mean, it's a weird team. There's, I could feel like there's. So, I, I just feel like there's. There's so many things that could go differently from last year, and they could end up being a whole lot better. But then it's also like, is Goldschmidt really going to do what he did again? Is Corbin really going to do what he did? Um, you, you know, is Brad Ziegler going to have that kind of a year? I, I I bet you it ends up kind of balancing out, and they're fairly close to what they were. I, I I'll go
1: with. Uh, 83 wins and uh, third place all right Uh, and more importantly has Kevin Towers made his prediction yet this is my my favorite rite of spring I think one of the things (laughs) that makes him unique among general managers is that he he makes a public pronouncement about how many wins he expects the team to make every single year so uh, he, he in 2011 he said 85 wins and they won 94, uh, and then last year he had 89, and they won 81. Uh, or that was two years ago. And then last year he guaranteed that the win total would start with a 9, uh, <laughs> and of course they won 81. So if
2: has he made his prediction? Uh, right? not, n- if, no, <laughs> not yet. He's, he's sitting on it, I guess. We, we've got to get that out of him.
1: Yes, please let me know when he makes it. Um, all right, well, thank you, Nick, for coming on. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Picoro, P-I-E-C-O-R-O. You can read his work uh, at picoro.azcentral.com. You can just skip everything else that's on azcentral.com and just go right (laughs) to Picoro's page. Uh, So thank you. Thank you for joining us my pleasure thanks for having me please support our sponsor baseball reference by going to baseballreference.com subscribing to the play index and using the coupon code bp to get a six dollar discount on a one-year subscription and now nick will talk to steve Berthium, uh, who performs his tim Kirkjen impression among other things
4: welcome to drop third strike i'm nick wheatley Schaller, and i'll be interviewing beat writers columnists and broadcasters from around the country getting their perspective on the teams they cover I'm talking to Steve Berthume, play-by-play broadcaster for Fox Sports Arizona. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so last year was your first full season doing play-by-play. What was it like to be in the booth every day?
0: Well, it, it was a dream come true. Uh, I mean, it really was. It, it, it was fantastic experience. It was an incredible learning process for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of learning on the job. I'd done a handful of games at ESPN nationally, and, some major league games, some spring trainings, and College World Series, but certainly nothing like a full season. Um, it, it was, It's fantastic. Uh, you know, I was at CNN, and I was at ESPN, and all these places, and I was always the guy, you know, stuck in the studio, tossing out to Buster Olney or Tim Kirchhen and all my other friends who'd be at these ballparks, and I'd look at them and think, wow, those guys are, you know, I have a great job, but those guys are really having all the fun being down there on the field and batting practice and at the games, and and I thought, boy, I that, I wish I could figure out a way to make that transition. And, and the Diamondbacks gave me an enormous opportunity, and I'll, for which I'll always be incredibly grateful. And it was re- it was really fun. It, it was really fun. It was a it was a great thing. It's amazing how you change over the course of the year, and I guess as in anything, you, you end up doing things at the end completely differently than you did at the beginning, and that was certainly my experience.
4: Yeah, what, what kind of changes do you make as, as the year went on? How do you adapt to any feedback or just from being in the booth all the time?
0: Well, um, I, I'm and now I'm a baseball geek. Like I, I know a lot mm-hmm. of guys in the office and do college basketball when they do football games and, and whatever else, and that's great to yeah, I, I never... Wanted to do that. I always just wanted to do baseball. So I mean, I'm a real baseball geek and a nerd about it. So I, I can get, I can geek out a little bit from time to time on some stats, and I, I consider myself a very much a sabermetric moderate. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'd like to get Brian Kenny in a room and just calm him down. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you you find a way to, to, to find that sweet spot. Like I, I'd like to talk about this because it interests me, and I know that some people will be interested in this but i know other people will hear a you know a particular sabermetric term term and just go oh good lord what's he talking about so you oh, you yeah. have to find you have to find a way to serve everybody and it, which of course you can never do it's, it's such a subjective thing and what one guy likes the other guy hates and so you just really sort of you know it's it's like trying to Dial in a radio station back in the in the day when that doesn't quite come in, and you're you know turning the knob just a little bit this way and a little bit that way, and trying to get the signal just where you think it should be where you can really hear it. Well, that's what you're really trying to do. I find with with the game and the play-by-play, find that middle ground where you know hopefully people are learning a little bit or picking things up and learning about the new dynamics in baseball and sabermetrics and other stuff, and are also just able to enjoy the game because the last thing you want is for something to get in the way. And and so i worked on that over the first few months, and my partner, Bob Brenly was incredibly patient and helpful with me. And I think toward the end, we found that sort of middle spot, and we should be able to get the ground running in 2014 with what should be a really solid and exciting Diamondback team. I'm really looking forward to it.
4: What was it like sharing the booth with Brenly? He had managed that team to a championship back in 2001. That must be a lot to live up to.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing, because you know, the Diamondbacks have still you know, been around less than 20 years, and they're still really trying to create generations of fans. And, and they still have a tremendous amount of equity built up from that '01 one team. That, that team still is, is revered in Arizona, as well as it should be. And, and, and BB and all the guys, and Gracie and all the guys that played on that team, uh, people still thank them. It's amazing. And uh, you know, it's not like it obviously wasn't 50 years ago, but you know, 01 is a while ago now. But people still look back on what Chase Field and Bank One Ballpark was like during that series, and what it can be again, and hopefully what it's building towards. So people, people still revere that team and, and look back on that team very fondly in Arizona, as well they should.
4: So you've in the past done a lot of national coverage. You mentioned working for ESPN, CNN. You were on Baseball Tonight. Um, how does covering a single team for a full year compare to covering all of baseball or all of sports, for that matter?
0: It's a hundred times better. And and my friend Tim Kirchin sat me down and said, in that great Tim Kirchner voice, he said, no, Bert, (laughs) let me tell you this. I was a beat writer. You know how Tim talks. He's the greatest guy in the world. But he told me, like, you will love the 162 you will come to cherish the 162 and the ups and the downs and the stories and the relationships and the people that there's you cannot get even an inkling of that from a television studio whether it's in bristol or caucus or la or wherever you are you can watch games like i for six years my job was to watch baseball games it was a fantastic job i sat with kurt Schilling and Omar Garcia-Parr and Aaron Boone and all these great players, Buck Showalter and managers and baseball minds, and I sat and I watched games all night every night. And it was a fantastic experience, but it's very different when you're part of a team. And Bob and I are Diamondbacks employees. I'm proud to be an Arizona Diamondback, and, and you know we're on the team playing, and we're in the hotels, and we, 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 try, we do all the other stuff that you don't see, the travel and the hotels and the taxi cabs and all that stuff. And it, I'll, I'll never for the life of me, and it, this really hit me, is that w- when sabermetrically inclined people so quickly dismiss, you know, you, we sort of look at that phrase as, oh, he's a good clubhouse guy. And, you know, people chuckle and go, oh, good lord, not that. It's tired, it's cliched, it's old, and it's meaningless. Well, it's not. It, it matters. It, it's incredible how that stuff that we want to throw out, because there's no number that can quantify it. So, you know, it, some people will tell you if it can't be measured, it can't be valued, so we just dismiss it. But you, you quickly learn through that 162 how critical that stuff is. And it's fascinating to me about plane flights, the up, down, up, down. Eric Young used to tell me that all the time when I worked with EY Senior on baseball tonight and played for the Cubs. He'd say Bert, you'd be on planes, up, down, up, down, up, down, day game, night game, day game, day game. Man, it's a grind. Um, so you realize how all that stuff really does impact the season, and, and I'm telling you, you can look at a million different numbers, but if you throw out that sort of X factor, you're, you're missing it, man, because it's, it's critical. It really does impact the game.
4: Getting to see guys every day, um, how do you really get a feeling for how, how they are in the clubhouse? Do you interact with them? Do you see them interacting with other players? Yes, very
0: much so. Um, and we're lucky because the Diamondbacks are a really solid group of guys. They they were a really close-knit team. They're even closer this year. They're a bunch of guys that get along. They're professional. They respect each other as people. They respect each other as professionals. And so I, I, I'm kind of spoiled already because I had it easy because they were terrific to me. Um, but y- you do see uh, the dynamic of the season and there are no clicks on the team, thankfully, but you see, you know, guys have friends, and some, you know, guys' wise know each other, and the whys go out together, and they get together. You just see how all that works. Um, and, and that's really how the player lives. You can look at numbers and watch games on a monitor in a TV studio, but this is how the game is lived, and it, it's fascinating to watch, and it, it, I'm really fortunate to get to see that. And just, you know, just... Stand behind the batting cage before a game and talk to guys while well, they come in and out of the cage. And it just, I always try to just absorb as much as possible. And because you never know uh, how it's going to help you in the broadcast. You could think a thing you had a quick five minute chat about with a guy the previous week suddenly is incredibly relevant in the game you're doing. And wow, I remember when I talked to him last week about this. Da-da-da-da-da. I mean. You have the opportunity to absorb all that, and that's what I'm doing now in spring training. I'm, I'm just hanging around Salt River Fields one because it's spectacularly beautiful. I mean, it's just gorgeous. The weather in Scottsdale is perfect every day. It's almost criminal how nice it is. And but just being around and talking to guys and getting to know them, like I could have had the opportunity to have a bunch of conversations with Mark Trumbo, and just boy, what a terrific guy. Just you're so glad he's here, and you learn you know what makes him tick and. You know, what he likes and what he thinks about different things, and uh, you can't do that in a TV studio. So it, it was really, really fun, and it, for me as a baseball nerd, you know, I go back to that. I I, I admit it, I, you know, I kind of geeked out a little bit. I, you know, I'm down in the field mm-hmm. watching batting practice at Wrigley Field. That's pretty cool. I, I still have that feeling, and I, I sure hope to God I never lose it.
4: So the Diamondbacks won 81 games in 2012 and then won 81 games again in 2013. Pocota projects them to win 80 games this year. How can Arizona make that jump from being a 500 team to being a playoff contender, as they clearly want to be this year?
0: Easy. Stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, It's it's an easy excuse to make, and people kind of roll your eyes, but boy. uh, Last year, the Diamondbacks just got absolutely clobbered by injuries. I mean, it was insane. Uh, You know, Jason Kubel limped all through. You know, this was a 30-home run guy from the previous year, Jason Kubel, limped all the way through spring training, just couldn't get right, first road trip of the season, injures a quad in Milwaukee, and is never the same guy for the rest of the year. Well, there's 30 home runs essentially gone. Cody Ross had no spring training at all, came back, struggled, had a really solid month or so, and then his hip exploded on him running up the first base wide. Adam Eaton, who was a really sexy pick to be Rookie of the Year by a lot of people, uh, has an elbow injury. He misses the first three months. First, mm-hmm. second home series of the season, Aaron Hill gets hit in the, on the hand by James McDonald fastball. Boom, he misses 90 games. I mean, on and on and on. Brandon McCarthy, who they figured would be injured based on his history with that shoulder, uh, is out two months um, who knew that? Trevor Cahill, who's been a him, yeah. lockdown down 200-inning guy every year, he's out six weeks. I mean, on and on and on. J.J. Putz has an elbow, then he's got a broken finger. Uh, it was incredible, the injuries that they had. And then when you add into that, guys who just really had, I don't want to say total lost seasons, but just never got out of the gate and just never got going, and Jason Kubel's a great example of that, and we all know about how Miguel Montero struggled, and Mickey is so key to this team that the season just never started for him, really. Uh, So when you combine all those injuries and a couple of guys that just they counted on and ended up not being able to give them anything, uh, it was kind of remarkable in a way. They won 81 games. They were really – and then when you add all the extra inning games, I mean, Diamondbacks – played more innings than any team in baseball history. Uh, and it wasn't just an extra inning game. They didn't just do, you know, 10 or 11. They that 15, 16, 18 innings. Uh, it was remarkable. Uh, they went through a lot last year, and it, I think it really wore them out.
4: I'm sure you, as an announcer, were able to experience that 162-game grind. Really, we always think about it as something the players have to deal with, but the announcers get it almost as bad. Yeah,
0: I mean, and I don't know how they do it. I I will yeah. be honest with you. I mean, I'm I, I was worn out by the end. I mean, I was having a ball, but boy, you're tired. And you know, I I can stroll into the park and open my computer and do my homework and get ready for the game, but obviously, it's not physical. These guys are. I mean, it's it's remarkable what these guys go through over the course of a full season, especially when you consider that it starts in early February, and perhaps for a few lucky ones, goes all the way to the end of October. Um, Wow, it's incredible, because it's every freaking day. And on one hand, that's the beauty of baseball. That's what we all love about it. But on the other hand, you go, wow, boy, I don't know how these guys are playing games today. It's, It's exhausting. I don't know how they do it.
4: Last year, you mentioned that their rotation took some hits in the injury department with Brandon McCarthy and Trevor Cahill missing a bunch of time. Patrick Corbin and Wade Miley were both able to log over 200 productive innings. Uh, Ian Kennedy and Randall Delgado filled out the rest of the rotation. They both gave, gave up a few too many homers. Um, this this offseason, they signed Bronson Arroyo. So how he how will he fit into the rotation this year? What does that signing mean for Delgado and Kennedy?
0: Well, it's it's, it's interesting. Well, I mean Ian's in San Diego, obviously. So I mean, yeah. that's another thing I should have mentioned. Your opening day starter traded at the uh, trade deadline. So there goes that. But the interesting thing about Bronson Arroyo was. And you mentioned Patrick Corbin. For me, Arroyo gives them a couple of things that they absolutely did not have last year. One, that's dependability. There's also flexibility, and it's just the simple innings. And as we know, based on his track record, there is no more sure thing in in major leagues in terms of 32 starts, 200 innings, than Bronson Arroyo. Mm-hmm. Even Patrick Corbin, you know, when Patrick's fatigued, and he clearly fatigued. I mean, this is a really, really good athlete, a hell of a basketball player. Uh, And a a tall kid, but he's not a big kid. I mean, he was not – there was not a whole lot of weight behind all those sliders. So in August and September, he really, really fatigued. The slider just wasn't quite as sharp and crisp as it had been in in May and June. And he got tired. So even though you had a guy like Corbin, who was an all-star pitcher, you didn't know day-to-day what he was going to be able to give you because you just weren't sure. And the same was very much so for Trevor Cahill and Brandon McCarthy and on down the list, you, you just didn't know what was going to happen. Randall Delgado might throw a three-hit shutout like he did against the Padres at Chase Field, or he might give up three home runs in the first inning. You're not quite sure. So with Bronson Arroyo, he's the guy that I think is so critical for them because he can, he can just kind of calm the waters a little bit. When the boat is rocking a little too much, you know, more so than you'd like, and the waves are getting a little choppy. Bronson Arroyo can be the guy who they didn't have last year, who can come in and say, "Everybody relax, it's okay. I'll I'll give you six or seven big league innings. I'll keep him to three or four runs. We'll we'll be in this in this thing, and we got a chance to win today because you know that's what you're going to get. And now he's going to have a, the occasional game or gives up some home runs because, as we know, he's an extreme fly ball pitcher. But for the most part, I, that durability and that dependability. Are two things they absolutely needed last year and just didn't have. So for me, that's what Arroyo brings. And he also, and we've seen this in spring training, which is really, really uh, encouraging, is Archie Bradley is glued to him. I mean, he Bronson Arroyo and Archie Bradley. This is you talk about learning on the job. What an opportunity for Archie Bradley to talk to Bronson Arroyo, not only because he's such a veteran pitcher, but because he's really, really in good physical condition, and he takes his conditioning very seriously. And as Patrick Corbin learned last year, this is a process. You have to learn how to survive 200 innings. You have to learn how to survive those six and seven months physically. That's not something you just do. You have to figure out how to go about it. And Bronson Arroyo can teach some of these young guys how to do that, and that is enormously valuable.
4: Do you think that um, Bradley will get any chances in the majors this year? Uh, will that depend on how he does in spring training? Um, he was throwing some live BP to guys a couple of weeks ago, got some good reports in from Co- Cody Ross.
0: Oh, I tell you what. I stood behind the cage mm-hmm. two Saturdays ago when Archie threw about 35 pitches.
4: Yeah,
0: And he, yeah. he threw to A.J. Pollock and Cody Ross and Mark Trumbo and a couple other guys. And I can tell you right now, those guys came out of the cage. These are polished, professional, big-league hitters, and they were talking to themselves.
4: Yeah.
0: And one guy came out of the cage and just muttered to himself, wow, I'm glad he's on our team. People are <laughs> really excited about Archie Bradley, and if he can get that change up to where it needs to be to go along with that curveball and the fastball, uh, he's going to be deadly. I mean, Mark Trumbo came out of the cage and said, wow, that is that is front of the rotation stuff. That's impressive. So the question of course with Archie is when. Now Kevin Towers has said hey we're not worried about arbitration clocks. We want to win now. We want to get off to a good start. That's important. If Archie Bradley is one of our five best starting pitchers he will be on the opening day roster. If he's not he won't be. Now the addition of Arroyo changes that certainly. Um, Hey, Nobody wants a Super 2 Tim Lincecum situation. If you can delay that by a couple of months then everybody wins. But if he's one of the five best in camp, he will break camp with the Diamondbacks. Now, really? the problem is, with Randall Delgado, you know, if, if you're looking at, you don't want to put numbers on guys right now, but if Archie Bradley is the fifth starter, that as of this moment, is Randall Delgado's spot. Well, Randall's out of options, so he can't be sent down to minors without clearing waivers. He put them on waivers, and somebody's going to grab them. So he's in the bullpen now is sort of a Josh Pulmenter type. And, of course, they already have a Josh Pulmenter type in the bullpen. So they will lose, in a sense, a bullpen spot there to keep Delgado on the roster with the Royals. And if McCarthy gets hurt again in May, as his medical history tells us he will, maybe that's when we
4: see Archie Bradley come up if he doesn't leave King with the D-Bags. Didi Gregorius got that his. Sense? F- what's, what's that? <laughs> Sorry? That was a lot. I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, Didi Gregorius got his first full season in the majors last year. He started 97 games at shortstop with Cliff Pennington and Chris Owings filling in for the rest. All three of those guys are back this year. In 2013, uh, Gregorius was much worse against lefties. He struck out twice as often and walked half as often as he did against righties. Owings bats right-handed and was ranked as Arizona's number two prospect by Jason Parks. Is Arizona likely to try some sort of platoon, or will both Owings and Gregorius be fighting for that starting spot with a loser going to the minors?
0: I, I think that's much more likely. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that either, either player at that point at this point in their development, benefits from sitting half the time.
4: Yeah. Uh,
0: my impression is, and this is, just, again, just an impression, is that one guy will win the job and one guy will go to AAA Reno. Um, I, I can tell you this. I think Chris Owings is really impressive. I, I, I watch him. I, I see a little Craig Biggio. Uh, the kid is hes a great kid. He really, really works hard. He's in tremendous physical shape. He's really athletic. He's got a good arm. He doesn't quite have DD's range, but he's not that far behind. And when I watch him hit, and, you know, we all look at the walks to the low walk totals in the minor leagues, and everyone goes, oh, gosh, he's got to walk more. Well, he really reminds me offensively of Milmar Garciaparra. No, I used to have this discussion with Milmar all the time. And when people would tell him he needed to take pitches and work the count, it used to drive him crazy. <laughs> he hated to hear that because Nomar, would, as we know, would always attack very early in the count. First basketball, he saw bang. He was going to swing. He was going to attack it. Chris Owings is, is exactly like that. And I know he's got those little walk totals, but he's not a free swinger. He's not a wild swinger. He's got decent plate discipline. Um, I just think that's his style, and it works for him. And I think they're excited about Chris Owens. Didi got off to a really good start last year, and there were times where he looked overmatched. We know about the struggles against lefties. And I, I think long-term, they're going to have to pick one or the other uh, and then maybe trade the guy that doesn't get the nod because um, they also have Nick Ahmed in their minor league system, who Kevin Sauer says is the best defensive shortstop they have in the whole organization. And I've seen Nick play a lot. I saw Nick play a lot in the fall league last uh, September and October. Boy, he is really good out there. Oof what a defensive shortstop Nick Ahmed is. So um, there's a lot of depth there, and I would imagine the guy that doesn't get the job is traded, but that's pure speculation. But uh, from what I've seen so far, Chris Owings has really been impressive.
4: Speaking of great defensive players, Gerardo Parra set records for his defensive stats last year in right field. How much fun was he to watch out there? What what the, What's the fan opinion on him?
0: Boy, they love him. Yeah. Uh, 17 outfield assists. Um he just he's one of these guys that has a knack for it and it's not often you see and kurt Gibson pointed this out it's not often you see impact defenders in the outfield certainly in on the corner spots I mean, occasionally center fielder but when you think of impact defender you know you think shortstop you think maybe third base perhaps catcher you don't think of a right fielder as being an impact defender all that much um but but, but he is he's just got this remarkable ability and he he loves it. He It's funny to see him kind of bait guys. And early in the year, they fell for it. And, boy, he <laughs> yeah, relished change. the opportunity to throw these guys out. And he had an almost perfect record of throwing them out, one after the other after the other. And, uh, he Boy, it's fun to watch, I'll tell you that. The thing with, with Parr is he had never, in a major league season, had 500 at-bats. And, and he, he thinks of himself as a full-time player. And he wants to be, he came into camp last year saying, I want 500 at bat. That's my number. I've never had that. I'm shooting for 500. Well, they got 600 at bats because of all the injuries they had. And that's too much because he plays at, you know, I don't want to say 110%. He plays at 150% all the time. He had a face plant on the warning track in right field in City Field that I don't know how the hell he got up and walked away from. I mean, he dove for a ball and just absolutely bit it. Face planted right on the dirt, and he was down for a while. But he plays like that all the time, and so for for G, I think you know three seventy five, four hundred ish at bats are better overall for him and the Diamondbacks, just because he plays so hard all the time, and he hit one ninety eight against lefties that uh, mm. last year. So they might be in a platoon situation with he and Cody Ross. I'm not so yeah. sure because Cody kills well, Cody at three ninety against lefties last year. So. There might be a platoon situation there. I'm not sure. We'll see. But uh, for me, I, I think it's better for Gerardo Parra if he, you know, 400 at bats are much better than 600, just because of how hard he plays.
4: Yeah, you mentioned Ross. You mentioned their left fielders last year between Ross and Kubel and um, Eden really struggled. They brought in Mark Tr- Trumbo to fill that gap. So will Ross be relegated to more pinch hitting duties? Might he get some time in center field? They have AJ Pollock, who looks like he's going to be the starter there. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. You don't make the moves they made to get Trumbo and not put him out there every day. So yeah. I presume that Trumbo's in left field and you check that box. Okay, done. Let me tell you, if you haven't seen A.J. Pollock, and it's not a name that comes up on a lot of charts or anything like that. He's not the first name off the tip of your tongue when you're talking about big league center fielders. This guy's a terrific defensive player, a terrific defensive center fielder, really good. Really long legs. He, he kind of reminds me of Bernie Williams because you know you can picture Bernie Williams with those big long legs and those big strides that he took and those knees up way high over his waist as he ran. AJ Pollock is almost a spitting image of that. Mm. And there's not a lot of diving catches with AJ because he doesn't need to dive. He he just he takes a straight route to the ball. He can go in. He can play back. He covers the gaps. And, you know, they made that decision, much like they might have to this year with Owings or Gregorius. It was Eaton or Pollock in center field, and they went with A.J. Pollock because I think defensively he was superior, not even close. And offensively, I think there's still a lot of upside there for A.J. So I would put him in center field. Parr and Ross can certainly play center. But AJ's just so good out there, I think you leave him there. Now that leaves right field. And what we talked about, I think ideally there's a platoon situation there with Cody and Gerardo. You've got the righty, lefty split. Cody kills lefties. Parra doesn't really hit lefties at all. Uh, we'll see where that ends up, but I, I think most of the Cody Ross's playing time uh, will come out of right field. And the Gerardo Parra, as I said, will probably go from 600 at bats to well, maybe 375 or so. That's that's how I see that as we sit here in the end of February. Right? It kind of looks like that's how that might play out.
4: So at the beginning of this, you mentioned health is the biggest. Um issue for the Diamondbacks, what are they capable of if they can stay healthy for a full year?
0: Well, you know, for me, I I just look around the Diamond and it's just a really solid group of professionals. And it's a veteran team. There's a couple of youngsters mixed in there. But this is a really solid veteran group. You know, and you think of Paul Goldschmidt now as an accomplished veteran player. He's still only 26. He's a young guy. But boy, he's... You know, he carries himself and works like he's been in the game for 10 years. So you've got Montero behind the plate. You've got Goldie. You've got Aaron Hill, the pro's pro at second. We'll see what happens at shortstop. Boy, you won't find a better teammate than Martin Prado, who's locked in at third now with Trumbo and left. Pollock coming in a second full season in center. And then Parr and Ross out there in right. Boy, I look at that group and go, wow, you know, that's a really solid group. I mean, other than Goldie, there's no superstar in that group. Boy, that's you know that's pretty good. That's that's really good, and if they if they can stay healthy, and I just I think there's a lot of potential there. I really do. Now I don't know if the Dodgers are going to win 120 games. Who knows? But boy, if they stay healthy, I think they have a real chance. But for me, offensively, the key is Mickey uh, Miguel Montero has just got he's gotta bounce back. He just has to. He's the key to the team. The one downside of that lineup I just sort of went through is they're very right-handed. They're extremely right-handed now. So you don't want Trumbo protecting Paul Goldschmidt. As we know, Trumbo's not enough of a contact hitter to quote-unquote protect Goldie. So you really need Mickey to hit well enough to hit fifth. Because ideally, if you go, you figure Parra leads off against righties, probably Aaron Hill bats second, Goldie third, Mm -hmm. Prado fourth Montero fifth Trumbo sixth you really need Miggy to hit well enough to hit in that five hole or or somewhere in that spot because you just got to figure out a way to get a lefty bat in there to break up some of those righties and they just need Montero's production I mean he's you know he can be a 15-20 homer 80-90 RBI guy he's been that before Um, I think that's critical That, that to me other than health a bounce back season for Miguel Montero is absolutely critical.
4: So Zach, I'll leave you with one last question. Zach Grenke recently said that there's zero excitement for the in the Dodgers Clubhouse about their opening series against the Diamondbacks that will be taking place at the Sydney Cricket Ground in Australia. Are you going to be traveling for that series? Yeah, we
0: leave oh. uh, we play the
4: Brewers on the 16th, which is a Sunday, and then right after
0: the game, we are on the plane for Sydney.
4: There are more excitement in the Diamondbacks clubhouse. They are one of the few teams that doesn't get to travel for spring training.
0: Boy, you know what? The secret's going to get out on that pretty soon, because not only do you have the best facility in baseball at Salt River Fields, but these players train at this Amazing facility, and usually it's 15, 20 minutes from your house. It's not like it's not like you say to the wife, okay, honey, I'm off to Dunedin, I'll see you in eight weeks. I mean, think about that setup. These guys travel, you know, 15, 20 minutes to go work out every day in perfect weather. It's You couldn't have a better setup. But I think some of the comments that Zach Granke and some other guys made about from the Dodger Clubhouse about going to Australia... That, to me, is the question with the Dodgers. Like, Who's the leader on that team? Hanley Ramirez? <laughs> Yaciel Puig? It's not Adrian Gonzalez. He doesn't want him. Uh, you know, I, hey, anybody would take Kershaw and Granke and Ryu, don't get me wrong. But after that, yeah, you know, okay. Hey, they got some good pieces in that bullpen, sure. But, you know, where's Nick Punto and where's Mark Ellis and some of these other guys? I just wonder, wh- where's the leader in that clubhouse? I, and I think the Australia thing kind of underscores that point. Uh, okay, you know, I'm sure baseball's not thrilled with, no, we don't want to go and nobody cares. That's not what they're looking for. Um, I, just, I think that speaks to the situation in L.A., and it's, I'm curious to see how that evolves and how that story plays out, because I'm not sure there is a leader in that clubhouse. I don't know. I'm not sure we'll find out one way or the other.
4: Yeah, it must be inter- an interesting, unique clubhouse. I mean, so many guys coming from different places... Uh, so much turnover in that roster over the past few years. Yeah, and it goes back to what we talked about at the start of the show. Uh,
0: That stuff matters. and I'm telling you, just because you can't measure it doesn't mean you shouldn't value it. And I know there's not a number to quantify that stuff, but boy, I can tell you it matters a whole lot. It really does.
4: Yeah, I think – us stat people get frustrated just because it's so hard to predict things and to really uh, say that oh, we can observe this guy being a good clubhouse guy, we don't have that accurate information, so if we try to say that he's going to be a helpful clubhouse guy in the future, it's almost impossible for us
0: Well yeah, Yeah. and you don't know I mean, and and a lot of the times you don't want stuff coming out, the teams or the players don't and it's not about, you know, he's a good guy in the clubhouse and you use little finger quotes and kind of roll your eyes and go oh good lord, give me a break it's not necessarily that it's it's just about you know leadership and personalities are there clicks in the clubhouse are there not Do these guys get along and you can sit there and go hey you're professionals. you should get along you're going to pay to play a boys game that stuff shouldn't matter <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what it does just if you if you work at you know joe blow insurance company and everybody around you is you know drives you nuts chances are you're not going to be that productive selling insurance well the same applies here, because let, let me tell you, these guys live together for seven, eight months a year. They're together every day on the buses, on the planes, in the hotels, in the clubhouse. They're together all the time. And just based on purely the amount of hours they spend together should tell you how important that is. It, it really does. It, that that struck me more than anything else. I'm like, wow. If you're not watching this, you're, you're not getting it, because it just matters. It does.
4: All right, well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Steve.
0: Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me, and we uh, look forward to seeing everybody from Sydney in a
4: few weeks. Yeah, have a good season. Thanks, we'll look forward to it. That was Steve Berthume of Fox Sports Arizona. If you live outside of Arizona, you can hear Steve announce Diamondback games all year on MLB.tv, and you can follow him on Twitter at BurtDebex. Tomorrow, I'll be discussing the Cleveland Indians with Jordan Bastian, beat writer at MLB.com.